This episode is powered by Poddex. We just want to remind you that this episode of Talking Pop is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to want to check out poddex.com. Use the special promo code TALKPOP, that's T-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your first order. Poddex are the hottest new tool for podcasters looking to have more meaningful conversations. Or gamify their podcasts. Simply shuffle up. Ask a question and let the content roll. Get yours today at poddex.com and use the promo code TALKPOP. That's T-A-L-K-P-O-P for 10% off your order. Now let's let's turn to your regularly scheduled program. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. It's your another edition of Talkin' Pop. It's the podcast on all things pop culture. I'm your host, the franchise. Of course, joining me is Pico. We're almost done. (laughs) Said we're almost done with this year. (laughs) Yeah, we're almost out of 2020. Oh, man. It's been, yeah, it's been an interesting year so far. Uh, first thing off, like, this week, I just want to go over, like, holiday stuff, you know, with the holidays approaching, and, you know, especially when it comes to pop culture, a lot of, like, you know, programs, sitcoms, movies. There's a lot, of, like, I would say, like, besides Halloween, usually Christmas is, like, one of the most, like, overused holidays when it comes to like media when it comes to music uh you know books um stories and of course tv sitcoms and film um before we jump into that pretty much it became like yeah it became pretty much like an obligatory like thing to do like each each show had to have like a christmas or some kind of like you know something to for the winter holidays you know just you know Pretty much, you know, to be relatable, basically, to the audience. You know, to care to the audience. Because, I mean, not every country celebrates Christmas the same way. I mean, they had different names for it, but the traditions are completely different. I mean, even expands beyond anime, because I remember seeing some anime, they'll have, like, you know, Christmas episodes as well. Which is surprising, but the way it's funny how 
Japan, which is interesting how they celebrate Christmas. It's similar to us. The only difference is here in the U.S., it's like either we eat ham or turkey. Or in Japan, the biggest food of choice is fried chicken. <laughs> Apparently, fried chicken is like the biggest like seller in Japan during the holiday season. Especially during Christmas. So, but they do the same thing. Like they'll exchange gifts and stuff. And usually they'll have like a group gathering or something like usually. Because if, I don't know if like for it comes to like, if you work in a Japanese business or like an office, usually they have group outings. Like if you want to feel like, you know, that membership, like teamwork ship, like with your fellow coworkers, you go out drinking after work, after a job well done, you go and celebrate at the celebrate day of the work week. So I think it's kind of similar that like, I mean, here in the U.S. too, like, if you work in like an office or even a business, sometimes they'll do, like, holiday parties or something just to keep the morale, you know, for the team, you know, pretty much, you know, to get it through the holidays is, like, almost like getting through that, that rest point, basically. Um, before we jump into the holidays, of course, we want to address, um, of course, uh, if you guys, spoiler, look, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen, um, we, I did, we did get to see the last episode of the season finale of The Mandalorian. So we want to go over The Mandalorian which was the rescue, episode sixteen. Basically, um, this is going to be spoiler written, and we'll give you a review before we jump into the main topic at hand, which is going to be focused on like holiday stuff, because of course we're approaching Christmas, so that and Christmas is coming up later this week, so we wanted to take our time and talk about Mandalorian first before we jump into holidays, which we're going to probably spend the majority of this episode talking about holiday stuff. So let's go on with the Mandalorian. So it was episode sixteen, known simply as. The rescue. Because if you remember from the last episode, um, Din the Jardin send a message to Moff Gideon that hey, you got something that I want. Basically saying you got the child. They had the doctor and their hostage, and the doctor supposedly was the key. Well, first they're going to go after Doctor Pershing because he's like the key to find out what Moff Gideon is specifically. So honestly, the episode opens up where they pretty much intercept the ship where. Like, I don't know, it's like a transporting ship where Dr. Pershing was. And we've only seen him for like a few minutes. <laughs> and they do capture him and they try to get more, like, information out of him saying, you know, why he's here and all that stuff. Before we get to that, we see um, Din actually running and going to a bar and end up running into Bo Katan. And of course, her companion, played by WWE Sasha Banks. And, you know, Din's asking Bo Katan. For assistance. Of course, you know, Mando's joined by Kyra Dune, uh, Boba Fett, and Fennec. Because remember, Boba Fett and Fennec are in debt to Mando and they're fulfilling their, you know, end of the deal of they're, they're going to join, they're going to help him out until the child is safely back in his position. In exchange for Mando troubles to give the armor of both Boba Fett to his armor back. So, um, basically, Tang, of course, you had that little heatedness. Between Bo-Katan and Boa Fett because she's like saying you're not Mandalorian. And of course it's like a little like this is where, you know, basically the Mandalorian culture gets more exciting because armor. Yeah, Boa Fett has his dad's armor. So and he wasn't born on Mandalorian. So. No. But his dad fought in the Civil Wars. Yeah. And of course they get to a heated argument and eventually it calms down where then they say, Hey, we find out where Moff Gideon is and of course, with Bo Katan, let's get the Dark Saber because the Dark Saber is the key to liberate Mandalore, supposedly. Because the Mandalore became a glass pen or something, plant covering glass, and only the Dark Saber is the way to break it. Okay. Maybe it's like a like dirty spell that like a Sith put on. Like a Sith spell, you're thinking? Yeah. 
The child's blood, where Grogu's blood, yeah, where Grogu's blood. So they have him with them, and they're interrogating him, and that's when he, like, just mentions to him that the dark troopers were droids, and that they, once they got past the human defects, they are able to build these super fucking menacing troopers that, like, have impeccable fucking armor, mm-hmm. and they like, really quickly once they broke up that strategy to see how they're going to invade the ship. And obviously Mandalorian had going alone, but they asked, I don't know, uh, which I'll get to, like, the negative parts of the bottom. That was for me, at least. But you know, we see him kind of break up the group, and that's the like, she just goes down. He, everything's kind of like the race of the finish of the game in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. We just get a lot of uh, action from the whole, once the team separated, we got them. And I did like that sequence where it was like the women, the female characters, pretty much had their moment of shine, which is really cool. It was really cool though. I'll say a little bit better than what happened, how the women were portrayed, like the female characters were portrayed in Endgame, because at least here they did more shit. Yeah, it was pretty more. It was a lot more cohesive this time around. Um, with the action scenes were nice. And then, like honestly, like that fight scene with the uh, Mando and the Dark Trooper man. Oh my god, dude, that was like oh, fucking yeah. crazy. That's good, uh, because they were trying to find a way to get rid of the dark troopers, like they had to, like I guess they had to break into. Yeah, they had them there. They had them in there. And once the other team, the other half of the team reached the the main, like where the, the bridge, the bridge, yeah. That's where they saw that Moff Gideon wasn't there, and so they faced more stormtroopers and officers, and they're like, "Oh shit, where is he?" And he's in the cell, you know, in the bridge with Baby Yoda. Or Grogu. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, like a name. <laughs> you still was kind of playing off with the name, Alan. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't, no, it still doesn't do it for me. Um, but yeah, we see that happen. Kind of goes down, you know, it shows Matt Gideon's uh, sly side of what, I guess you can get what got him to be a leader in the first place, but mm-hmm. we see the final, like, confrontation between them. Um, this guy and the Mandalorian and, and Matt Gideon and it went down just as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. I knew how he did, like I like how he built it up, where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna give you the sword, it's all good. Like he fair trade, it is what it is, right? And then he told him to put down his uh, weapon and all that stuff. But then, then he's like, once he reached for uh, Grogu, and he just started swacking at him with a dark saber, and that's when shit started going down. And, and it's crazy how that armor was still willing to hold against the dark saber because I thought at first I thought that was going to cut that armor, but the armor still held on to a point. Yeah, then, and then of course, um, didn't start using the the spear that he got, which made of the same armor, with the same of the same metal as his armor, which is strong as a lightsaber. 
So it was kind of cool that I thought, you know, oh shit, his armor's getting pierced. But no, it still held up. I mean, that fight scene with him and, and Gideon was not bad either. It was really well choreographed. I enjoyed that as well. Um, but I don't know. I think my favorite is him against the Dark Trooper. It was kind of more of a... Because, I mean, it's, you know, especially, you know... Obviously, Dark Troopers being more CGI versus, you know, him fighting Moth. But it still was fluid, though, because the way that sequences go. Because, you know, when it comes to, like, filmmaking and stuff, you know, when... You have to fight something that's not... He had to pretend something that wasn't there. Or they probably had... Like, when they were filming, they probably had something as a stand-in. So that way, it can make the, like, the fighting kind of more fluid basis. Until they replace it, whoever was there as a stand-in for the Dark Trooper. I mean, the, the fight with Moff Gideon wasn't that bad. I mean, at first I thought Moff Gideon had, like, powers and stuff. No, he was just a regular guy in a suit. Who obviously had training. Had combat training. But at first I thought maybe he was Sith. But I'm like... and But it's like... And then, of course, he had a dark saber. So, but, I mean, yeah, I wish the fight could have lasted longer. But, you know, it came to a conclusion that he was able to win over Moff Gideon. Get Google back in possession. Yeah, going to the bridge. And, of course, the whole thing gets with uh, Bo-Katan and Mand- Mando. Because now that, Bo- now that Mando has the dark, the dark saber, he was going to give it to Bo-Katan. And, of course, Gideon apparently knows about the Mandalorian culture. Knows based on you know Bogotan's beliefs that she can't use the dark saber because she has to win it in the battle, in the fight, in the duel to win the dark saber. Even though Mando's like, "Here, I yield," she still was hesitant not to take it. Which is a court, like I said, it's another like culture clash with like the Mandalorian culture. And of course, you know they get into like an argument. Of course, um, and then of course the rest of the dark troopers are showing up, and of course. Big spoiler, guys, because it's the biggest thing that kept hitting for like a year. We see a long X-Wing fighter flying by. And what went through my head was when they said, oh, there's one X-Wing fighter. At first I thought it was those guys we saw from the previous episodes. The two Republicans, but wait a minute, they were flying together. Two X-Wing fighter New Republic marshals were flying near each other. And it was just one X-Wing fighter. And then my head was mine is... Had to be somebody, because remember Grogu did that message in the previous episode. And that two episodes ago when he was in that top of that, like that temple relic. And doing that, you know, summoning thing. And of course we see through like, first you see security camp footage of a Jedi. Pretty much going in and taking care of all the dark troopers basically. And then you see Grogu, we see him moving around. Then he sees his eyes open up wide, like, what the... Like, he felt, like, the force, and then putting his little little hands on the monitor, like... <laughs> like, ah. And so it's like... And then, of course, um, we see a green lightsaber, and I'm, in my head, I was like, oh, shoot. I only know one person that holds a green lightsaber. And, of course, this being taking place five years after the return of Jedi, timeline-wise... It was Luke Skywalker. was a big reveal. That he was the Jedi answered Grogu's call. And of course we see Luke. And of course, you know, with the power of visual effects, they were able to like the... It's it's still Luke Skywalker, but Mark Hamill's back. He does the voice, but you can tell they kind of de-age him. So they pretty much use the same trick they did with um, Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. And, you know, they... CGI Young Luke, which a lot of people were like, I don't know if there was a mixed reaction, because, because well, we'll go into that afterwards, but we find out it's Luke, he was the one to answer the call. Helps him out, Moff Gideon gets his ass knocked out because he tried to use the gun to shoot at Mando, 
and Bo-Katan, and then he got knocked out. Um, and of course, you know, Luke's here for the child. He's going to take him to train him, basically. Then we get this whole, um, almost like father-son type of moment, because, you know, throughout the two, throughout these two seasons, you know, first Amando saw the child as more like a job. But over time, he grew to, you know, see him as like a son, almost. like Almost like a son. Someone he felt responsible for, care of him, willing to go to bat for him. And of course, he decided, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not see you again. I, that was cool. another time. He, third time, he takes off his helmet. It kind of reveals his face to Grogu. Yeah, just, like he didn't hesitate; he just took it off because it's like, who knows? He's gonna see me again. I better see that way he can see what I look like, you know. And you see him trying tearing up too, because now you see him becoming more and more human esque. Like he's showing more and more emotion, which I did like because now he's starting to be more. I would say more human because I mean this is a guy, carrot guy, like character that you know as a kid, parents got killed by droids, living through traumatic experience, gets founded by gets founded by the Mandalorians, the Dark Watch or Night Watch they're called, gets raised in the Mandalorian culture, their version of it, doesn't wear a helmet, becomes like you know, just the way you know doing the job and that's it, you know, not having emotions that much. Has his Vendelia's droids, you know he and over time he you know. Starts showing more emotion, and starts following more from the heart, and now it's like he's seeing, you know, Grogu now going to, you know, going with Luke. At the same time, you can tell he's he's really sad because who knows who's going to see him again, but he knows that Grogu's going to be safe. So, and of course, the episode just ends there. And then we see R2-D2 make a little appearance as well. R2-D2 interacting with Grogu <laughs> a little bit. So we get to see R2 for a little bit as well. And then, of course, the episode ends. And then, of course, we get to the credits. And, of course, you know, at first I thought, you know, okay, they're going to show the credits. And then they'll show, like, artwork. And it's going to go to the little minimized box that you do with the app. Pretty, like, previewing some other program you can watch. No, credits were still rolling, so I was interested. And then all of a sudden, credits end. We get a shot of Jawa's palace. And then you go on the inside, you see it's still operating. They see, remember that one dude that was like Jabba's, like, I was second command or something. I'm assuming he took over. He got chubby and shit because remember it was five years after Jedi. Laughing and all that. All of a sudden, Boba Fett comes down, and the dude's like, Oh, Boba Fett, you survived the Sarlacc pit. You know, all of a sudden. Boom! Kills everybody. Fennec's with them. So they kill everybody. And then one of the Twi'leks get freed. Like, Fennec frees the Twi'lek. She runs off. And basically, Bofet sits on the throne. Fennec's at the side. Because remember, Fennec serves Bofet after he saved her life. And then, all of a sudden, boom! Book of Boba Fett 2021. Next year. So basically, another, like, spinoff, basically, of the main series. And that's... Pretty much it. So going back to the whole Mark Hamill thing, even Mark Hamill kept it a secret for over a year. Like he even went on Twitter saying, "I had to keep this a secret for a year." Hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> He's like, "He had to keep it for a year." Well, I'll tell you anybody, anybody. And my thing was, I know a lot of people were probably saying, at first, you know, it wasn't bad attempt to try and make a young Mark Hamill, but I wish. Well, a lot of people were saying, why couldn't he get Sebastian Stan to portray him? Because he kind of looks kind of like him. He kind of looks like him, but I think, too, I think at the time when they were filming this, 
Falcon and Winter Soldier were still filming, so he probably couldn't do it because of the scheduling. So that's why, and then a lot of people are doing, like, I don't know, an artist started doing, like, a poster of what he, what he will look like. So it's just as Luke Skywalker. But, oh, you know, it wasn't a bad attempt. I mean, they had Mark Campbell come in and do the voice to symbolize that that is Luke Skywalker, you know? Um, like I said, it wasn't bad. At least it showed that, hey, we got Luke Skywalker to see what he's doing, you know? As you can see, he's here for the child. He's gonna, you know, he's basically trying to restore the Jedi Order, basically. Yeah. And then, you know... I mean, otherwise, the episode was great. You know, it was an action-packed episode or something. Like but now, it opens up many possibilities what Season 3 is going to lead to. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, there's so many things you can work out from here. But, before we get into my theories, what's your, what's your overall take, Biko, of the episode itself? Um, I think it was a good way to everything, at least the whole season, because it's been... For me, it's been kind of up and down, but uh, I like this episode. Definitely, it's going to go down to the one I remember the most, and next to the one before it. So I think the way these last couple episodes definitely helped uh, carry the storyline further, and, and obviously gave us a little fan service with the loop part, which I think was pretty well done. Uh, built up the suspense very nicely, and, and the way to cap it was okay. I, I wish they had a, a little better with Mop Gideon's ending. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my problems with it were just the writing and, certain, and like the like the certain dialogue about how weak was like the, the whole the beginning of the of the confrontation between Mandalorian and Moff uh, Gideon. I felt like they could have went down a little better, but overall it was more like next season. I think uh, it it off of it there's a lot of a lot of things to play off of as far as words. Well, that's nice in a way because you know it could be anything it's going to keep people talking for a while to kind of theorize what they want to do next because they introduced to a lot of new characters now that they kind of mentioned these certain characters in the series it expanded them to give it's going to give them a lot of room to work with mm-hmm. it doesn't it, I mean we saw that with Game of Thrones right like they were playing catch up on a guy who wasn't it's. I mean, it's kind of like like you're saying with Game of Thrones. It's like if what happens with Game of Thrones. Like I said, I haven't watched the rest of Game of Thrones yet. But the problem is with Game of Thrones was George R. R. Martin likes to take his time to, to write the series because he's not being pressured by his publisher. He takes his time because it's, because his publisher knows he's a money maker. And, you know, basically with that show, the showrunners, you know, you know, I mean, they had to find a way to end the series. And I think George R. R. Martin just gave, like, the highlights. Like, here, this is what, you know, what I'm leaning towards. Here's the highlights. See what you can make with it. Because the way they were being pressured by HBO to get this series wrapped up. Even though now, the, you know, they just announced this, the new series, the prequel series called The House of Dragons. And it's kind of cool because they're going to have Matt Smith, you know, Doctor Who from Doctor Who coming in to play one of the roles in that, in that series so I'm looking forward to that but overall with the Mandalorian like I enjoyed this episode because of the fact it gave some kind of closure to the whole Grogu kind of storyline for right now but at the same time kind of opens up like you said Biko opens up a lot of possibilities with these characters like pretty much an expansion like like I said with Disney announcing all these shows in the in the Star Wars universe um it opens up a lot of things, a lot of possibilities. Like you know, 
Mandel probably in the next season, Mandel could help Booker's hand recapture Mandel. That could be the next, you know, big thing. Maybe we'll see Grogu again during his training with Luke. Maybe we'll see more Luke Skywalker. Maybe they'll get Sebastian Stan there to be available to film the sequences when, when Grogu's doing his training with Luke. Um, we could see, you know, Kyra Dune a little bit, um, depending, because I know they, they're doing Rangers of the New Republic, so that could be, you know, they might transition Kyra Dune to that show as well. And, of course, you know, Fennec Chom. Shaw's character, she's with the Book of Both, and now, suppose that's supposed to be a standalone series, set in the same timeline, but it's going to be probably what they did after, you know, helping Din with the Mando mission, you know? Yeah. Because remember, they said they were all going to help him once they complete their mission, and as soon as the, the, the Grogu was back in Din's custody, so now that they fulfilled the thing, they want to go do their own thing. And of course, you saw, based on that end credits, after credits scene was, he was trying to try out loose ends, that happened to him in the past. Of course, getting his revenge on Jawa, basically in his organization, for just leaving him in the Sarlacc pit, not willing to help him out or anything. And we'll see what happens with the Book of Boba Fett. So I don't know what he's going to go after, you know, Jawa's contacts, or I don't know what the deal is that, but I know as that shows coming out next year. And like I said, going back to like Bo-Katan, the whole thing, I'm, I'm interested to see how Mandalore looks. I mean, it's been talked about. Like I said, I have to go back and watch Clone Wars to find out more about it. More, more, far, more, find out more about her character because she comes out in Clone Wars to find out more about her and more the, in the Mandalorian culture. But I'm looking forward to that. They explore that in the next season. Same thing with Cardu. Now that she's a Marshal of the Republic, what she's doing next, you know? Like I said, overall, I enjoyed the episode. Like I said, it was a good closure for the Grogu kind of storyline for now. Because that was like yeah, the whole thing was... Because the whole thing was the season was trying to find a Jedi to train them, basically. And of course, you know, with Ahsoka having her own show, that's going to be something else. And of course, Obi-Wan as well. Like I said, so many things. Um, I'll say my biggest negative of the episode, they didn't do too much with the Doctor. <laughs> that's the only thing. I, I wish the Doctor could explain it more. Like, he didn't talk too much about the blood, too much about the project. Oh, yeah. It wasn't yeah. too much stress. It's like, we all use you, that's it, you're done. You know? We're not going to use you they, anymore. They're like what they were doing to him anyways. Like, they could have used some of that to, like, make him seem more plausibly deniable. Like, he couldn't do anything against his will and it didn't seem like that was the case. Mm-hmm. Like, they could get more out of him. Why, you know, yeah, more into the project. Yeah, so that was, like, my biggest gripe was, yeah, the pacing and pretty much also, okay, we got you. You're a key to get them off again, and then we're done with you. You're gone for like the next few scenes, and he's gone. And I just yeah, wish, yeah. I wish they would have like talked to him more, just to get more of what Moff Gideon was doing, like more why the clones and stuff. Of course, they're trying to make their own Jedi, but like the more deeper why. Even though we don't find out to like the, the Rise of Skywalker that basically the clones were the Snoke ones were just basically trying to make clones of Palpatine. Basically, that was the whole thing, just to bring Palpatine back to life. But, like I said, overall, the fu- I enjoyed the series with the Dark Troopers. I know those are freaking badass. And, like I said, and we'll see. Now that they got Moff, my other thing, too, is now that they got Moff Gideon, what are going to do with them next? Because he could be the key to find out other Imperial, you know, generals out there. The remnants of the old Empire. Because they come out the DNR key for Cara Dune, because now that she's a new Republic Marshal, he's... Pretty much a good piece to find, you know, the other remnants of the old empire. For now. I know because you're pro empire, dude. I know that. You're pro. Uh, 
There's just so much. Like if we only see one disc left in, that can't be like the only guy they had that was still the only person still building the empire, right? Because now we know that this guy's alive. So he could have just been in the back of the scenes of the Force, met like manipulating people who are still around in the galaxy, right? To kind of get the band together. He could use that. I'm sure he's far far enough to do that too. If, if uh, Obi-Wan can come back using the Force to talk about some shit to Luke and stuff, I'm sure the Sith can manipulate it in a way to kind of get people from the afterlife to kind of, well, I guess you could see, build an empire. So, I don't know. Yeah, they, they, they just, and I don't, I don't know if it's not, it's not totally John Farrow's fault by any means, because like we do get different directors from each episode and then different writers for each episode so it's kind of interesting because i'm sure these directors come with their own team too people so like they help them produce as well i'm sure that goes into the hand of how each episode like follows some sort of baseline but there's a difference in how the dialogue is presented so i think that's why for me it was a hit or miss on certain parts of the season uh places that could have been a little better story-wise but overall like the way we ended it was better at the end. Mm-hmm. Definitely solid as far as keeping the pace up. Um, building suspense, showing showing the the attachment between uh, Din and, and uh, Grogu and building that up enough to like help people see these past two seasons, right? Because the first one ended very nicely as well. And, and a show like this, obviously, was going to take a bump in the road. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, only because it's natural. What it's like, it's you know, happens in TV shows. You know, it, it's you gotta, you always gotta catch lightning in the bottom each year. You want to do that, right? So with this show, I know it won't have any problems next year like that. It'll keep people engaged. But uh, I do like to see them kind of polish it up a little more on some of these dialogues and, and some of these, like the way they write certain episodes as well. But like I mentioned, apart and you're bringing different teams every time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was a good way that the year I would say like I will say this season a little bit better than the first season. I mean, yeah, there was this is the season that we had like filler and stuff, and which to me was not necessary. But I think it was used just to move the story kind of along because I kind of like that you know Din's like you know his character development got a little bit better this season. Versus the first season, like like going back to my point, he became more and more like human. Because when I first saw him in like, the first season, he felt like to me he felt kind of like robotic and kind of stoic. Where you know he hated droids, always all about the mission and all that stuff. But here he was like in the second season, like you see his personality kind of you know develop more. Like he became more human esque and caring. You know he cared so much to the point he saw himself as a father figure to Grogu. And to two others, he's like, even though he gets annoyed, he's wanting to help others. And knowing, in fact, he's got people he can count on. Because at first, it was just, oh, just me, myself, and my Mandalorian clan. That was it. And after that, he started, you know, going back to, like, Ricard Dune, going back to Ricard Wells' character, knowing that he knows people that he can trust, people in the people in the guild he can trust. You know, then, you know, bringing, you know, Mayfield back, you know, who, you know, someone that, you know... Done, did wrong in the last season, but he would bring him back because he knew of all the people he could help him out. And then, you know, because knowing for a fact he had allies. I was like, you know, he was able to ask for help. That's one thing. 
I mean, it was cool scenes like Timmy Olyphant coming out, you know, for one spell. Like, getting these characters come out for one, like one-offs or who knows if they'll be back again. But overall, I would say this season was a little better than the first season. And like I said, it sucked that it was only eight episodes, but I can see that's the pace they're going for. Just, just to give you, like, the little chunks of it. Which makes sense. I just wish the episodes were a little bit longer. Most of them were, yeah, like, 30 minutes long. It was like, feel like more like a sitcom. Um, but overall, I enjoyed this season overall. Definitely, if I want to, I would rewatch the both seasons again. Just remember so when season three comes out. Like I said, even though they say it's, they're saying somehow sometime in winter next year. But we'll see what happens because now with the book Boba Fett's late for December. I don't know if they're going to show these shows. They're going to have Boba Fett on a different day than Mandalorian. Or have both shows on at the same time. Uh, on the same day. Because... We'll see at the way to see. But overall, I'm looking forward to the book of Boba Fett. Um, I can't wait to see that because it gets more. Because I think that is supposed to be what the movie could have been. Because with the whole... But, but due to Solo not producing well at the box office, I think that's why why Lucasfilms and Disney decided, you know what, we'll just do Book of Boba Fett. It's pretty much like a mini-series, just like a standalone mini-series. Right. Oh, I guess we got to see. I don't know. I don't know what it could be. Yeah, we gotta wait and see what, how it turns out first. Yeah, it is gonna be movie esque. I mean, I'm, they got the budget, but we don't know at this point. Because I mean, the Mandalorian feels like it's a movie, at least the way it's shot. No, it, it feels like watching a film. Yeah, it's more like it's a film. It's basically like a film, and it's broken down into pieces. Yeah. So, yeah, that, like I said, this season was a bit better than the first season. Much more improved. Like when it comes to like character development, it was much more better. Because I did like for a fact that he traveled more in this in this series than he did in the first season. Oh, yeah. That's true. He did travel a lot more in this And we got to see more like, different um, characters. We got to see more different characters. Like, we got to see a frog person, you know, these different creatures and aliens and stuff. That was kind of cool, too. So we got to see other creatures in the universe that were not introduced in the, in the original series. Yeah, so it did bring some more uniqueness to the show. Uh, it makes it make it more of a space field because we do need to see other creatures beyond just human-looking beings. So, I, I, yeah, it's definitely a good replayability type of show. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be a, quite a while until they start putting out some other Star Wars stuff. So you can just switch over to when they start uploading the Marvel things. So, that's, I mean, Disney's doing it very well doing that, you know, by, by introducing them, or finishing off Star Wars and then introducing a cycle of Marvel content and then, Vice versa, so it brings up that engagement to the platform, and, and now they just gotta fix their UI. Like just doing it for me is very clunky. Uh, they need to fix that a little bit, but um, obviously it's a learning curve. So they got only way to go with them is up. So now that they have the followers thing, you know, we want to hopefully see even with them branching out to all these different shows, they will get a movie in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they have to kind of fix that part of the brand, uh, the movie canon, and trying to improve on whatever the hell that movies were. So overall, what would you like? What would you give this season, like grade wise? Uh, I would give it like a. I would give it like a seven. A seven's good. A seven out of ten. Yeah. You know, not without its problems, but overall, it definitely was one of those that, like, started off kind of, we 
weird for me, and then it ended well. So it, it finished off well. Uh, it started rocky at the beginning for me, and then towards the end, it was like, okay. All right, I got you. It really, like, redeemed it, so I want to say. So I, I, I'll give it a seven. Alright, as for me, I probably will give it, like, around an 8. Just, I mean, overall, I would give it an 8 out of 10, just because of the Denzel character development. Uh, and just the pacing, to me, felt kind of rushed, and there were some episodes which I thought that wasn't necessary, but I think they did as, like, fillers, kind of look like some anime, they had to put filler just to bridge the gap from point A to point B, to show stuff in between. Um, but like I said, I like... I would say, like I said, it was a little bit better, like much more proven from the first season. Because, of course, the first season, you know, it's all about to see how long this show gets well-received. And obviously it got well-received to the point they're already going to start working pre-production on season three. But I will say for me, like 8 out of 10, it seems kind of like, obviously, it'd be more generous to this season. So, um, on that, so guys, definitely check out episode 16 of The Rescue for the Mandalorian. Basically, see what you guys think of it. Um... And like I said, I'm looking forward to the book of Boba Fett. We'll see how it goes from there. And then before we go on to a topic, which is holidays, um, I do want to point out because I was like somebody at, where I work at, they mentioned, uh, they told me, hey, did you get Cyberpunk 2077 yet? Um, unfortunately, I did not. Because apparently with the whole problems with the, the console version, with Xbox One and the PS4 editions of um, Cyberpunk, you know, being released, not performance-wise, wasn't doing well to the point where CD Projekt Red apologized because they were showing the PC version as the base for right. demonstrations. And to the point they said, talk to your companies, talk to the platforms you bought it from to get refunds, even though they couldn't guarantee it. To the point like that Red, that Sony decided, you know, we're going to pull the game from the marketplace, from the digital marketplace, until they fix it. Yeah. So right now, you can't even buy a digital one. But you can still go to your retailer to buy a physical copy. And apparently CD Projekt Red took major shots from investors. And knowing for a fact, and Project Red, apologize, say, you know, we put more attention to the next generation. But at the same time, with this generation still playing Xbox One, still playing PS4, because right now, you know, availability for the next-gen consoles are not available right now when it comes to, like, oh, each retailer getting a certain amount of stock. And people not working because of COVID, you know, you could think, oh, at least the people in the last generation give them a chance because right now to catch up because it's like not many people, not many people are working. So now CD Projekt took a big hit of it, even though it was financially a good success, but at the same time, it came like kind of like a big failure in terms of quality. I know they just released recently, they just released the first um, hot fix patch, which many of the patches that CD Projekt promised will fix like performance issues. And fix like the glitches and all that stuff for consoles and PC, apparently as well. And it's supposed to be promised more fixes coming out next year. I think January and February the next like patches that are gonna be coming through. So who knows? I'm probably gonna wait until the price goes down or until they fix those things before I jump into Cyberpunk 2077 because that's a game I do want to jump in because they give you like options. I was watching like playthroughs of people playing the corporal playthrough because you had three choices. You could play like Street Nomad. You play Nomad, Street Kid, or Corporal. So you get three different storylines you can play from. Oh, okay. And what's well, cool about it, it's like from a first-person perspective, you know, if you play The Witcher, but this version this time, you're playing from a first-person perspective, but the way you do it, it's your choices, your decisions. It just kind of sucked for the people that still have PS4, still have Xbox Ones, they got dealt with 
getting a game that felt they didn't get much attention more the next generation was getting more attention towards but it's like like I said not many people right now can find a PS5 not many people can find an Xbox um, Series X because due to you know limited stock and like I said people not working so we'll see how it goes hopefully you guys were lucky to get Cyberpunk 27 on PC I will say for right now until they fix it watch some playthroughs and they give you ideas how you want to play the game afterwards um, but I just wanted to chime in because somebody at work asked me, like, hey, what did you get it? What's your tie take on it? Like, honestly, when they announced it years ago, I was looking forward to it. But it just, you know, when you're going to demonstrate a game, at least you show it in the hardware or the kit that you guys were using it in. Don't mislead the you know the consumer. But I understand what they were going, they were coming from. And now Steve Project, they're trying to make amends. I read right now today that GameStop is, they're accepting full refunds for people that want to return Cyberpunk 2077 for performance issues. Mm. So we'll see what happens. But other than that, hopefully once these patches get fixed, the game could be playable again. Yeah. Alright, so I just want to give a little time on that a little bit. Um, now we're going to go into pretty much what the majority of this episode is going to be more about holidays. Mm-hmm. It comes to holidays in terms of pop culture-wise. Because um, I will say besides Halloween and Thanksgiving, I think Christmas is one of the holidays that's used a lot in media, music, and, you know, pop culture in general. Because honestly, I used to work in retail. And because I know you work the spell in retail as well. And of course, when they start playing Christmas music in the stores around the end of Thanksgiving or even the week of Thanksgiving, you know, it's that time of the year. When you hear Mariah, Car- <laughs> Mariah Carey's voice comes out through the loudspeakers. All one for Christmas is you blasting. You know it's the special time of the year. Yeah. Uh, it's like, guys, don't get me wrong. I like, you know, the holidays. But at the same time, working in retail for so long, it does get kind of annoying. <laughs> it's like you hear that music over and over again. It gets into your brain so much. But I like for the fact you get to get together with your family. You know, have a meal, exchange presents, you know, gifts. But, of course, unfortunately for this year, you know, due to COVID, can't do that much. You can't travel out of town. The only thing you can do is do, like, Zoom calls or just get together with your immediate family only. Or do, like, virtual calls with, like, your cousins or your relatives that don't live in the same city as you. Or don't live in the same state as you. Because due to COVID. Um, I would say from my memory-wise for holiday, what comes to, like, TV, um, I would say my first foray into like how they ask you know media was of course um to remember was the old like those old specials with the puppets from like these are shown like cbs you know frosty the snowman was the anime one but they had like when santa claus was coming to town it was made with like the puppetry I forgot what studio made it, but it was like it was advanced puppetry and was it was like stop motion. But it was really well done stop motion at the time. And because I know the characters were made of wood or something, they were made like wood and stuff, so it was wooden puppets, but it was made in stop motion, so it was like early stop motion. Um it was Santa Claus coming to town, Jack Frost was another one, um Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, you just get sighted a lot, was another one. Um what was the other one? The year without Santa Claus was another special. It was kind of like similar to that. 
Um, what I like about Santa Claus is coming to town, it kind of like, um, you know, gave like an origin of where Santa Claus came to be. That he was yep. a young kid and then he grew up, he got raised by the elves and stuff. And because like I said, people don't realize Santa Claus was, you know, was like the, the face of Santa Claus was created by Coca-Cola. People don't realize it was created by Coca-Cola, like the image. That's why you see his face using like Coke cans or using advertisement. Um, but it was like pretty much um, a take on St. Nicholas, a totally team. Where if you know the story of St. Nicholas, basically he it was in a town in Italy, and he was a you know kind of like a missionary. And what he did was you know kids were poor and stuff. And what he did was he gathered coins and stuff. He raised enough money and he pretty much gave the kids so they got something to eat and stuff. He helped out families basically, and that kind of. And he came around during the winter solstice, so it kind of drifted around the whole concept of Santa Claus. So he was kind of like the inspiration of Santa Claus. Even though different cultures, there are Santa Claus in different cultures, but they all were around of a, of a being that pretty much gives kids, you know, unfortunate kids, like presents to give himself like joy and happiness. And of course, spawn on to like media, pretty much. And he had this character, Santa Claus. And I think Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer it was some concept like that because I think the concept of Rudolph the Reindeer was actually done by someone that used to work for Sears Roebuck. Back in the day, I do remember they wrote a book on it. It was created by someone that worked for Sears at the time and eventually got adapted to like a song and of course got adapted to like a, an actual cartoon itself. And, which is kind of cool. And of course, you know, it came with the famous songs like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that song, like a lot of these songs are public domain so you can actually play them without because nobody owns them anymore because most of those songs are like public domain that's why you hear like radio stations blasting them like 24-7 because it's public domain um but like I said that was like my first thing but I think the biggest one that I enjoy when it comes to like holidays like episodes or stuff was um what was that one god it was in my head right now I'll say Charlie Brown Christmas <laughs> it was like my I would say that's one of my top ones. Because it's like... What I like about the Charlie Brown Christmas was basically like... Charlie Brown like questioning the meaning of Christmas basically. And it's kind of cool because with, with the PS did, like with the writing in there, they pretty much gave me an idea of what people's views of what Christmas is. Some say it's for commercialism. You know, others is about, you know, commercialism but you know... Decorating and showing off, you know who gets who's got the best tree, who's got the best decorations. Another one is like all about getting presents, getting what you want. You know, all about greed and and then of course I like Linus's take. It's you know the whole spiritual aspect of it, what Christmas is, eventually leading to the point of you know being there for each other. And overall, it's like, you know Charlie Brown, the questioning, you know the holiday itself. Because he thought it was very commercialistic. That's what he thought, but in, he, that's what he thought. But then he wanted to get like other people's opinions about it. Yeah, which is he was like conflict, like he was conflicted because he was conflicted like why, you know, and in all concept of all around like Lucy asking him, hey, you want to direct a Christmas play? Like it's class, class. We're doing a Christmas play, I guess. They were doing like you know the story of Christmas and stuff, which of course you get the famous song of the kids dancing and stuff. Dun, 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 and of course, you know, Lions giving that speech, mm-hmm. giving that speech about basically like his, you know, story of you know the birth of Jesus. Christ. Because of course, you know that 
kind of kind of revolve around that as well. But I would say that's that still holds to me. I we had lucky we had that episode on VHS. Um, because I think you know that I would think it's, it kind of still holds up a little bit. It was kind of questions like we do now, but um, and of course ends you know. You know, everyone coming together behind Charlie Brown, and you know they all start singing stuff. And then he finally says, "It's just being together with your friends, basically, being around the people that care about you, and just you know sharing joy and happiness." And then, of course, um, that that got followed up. It's Christmas time again, Charlie Brown. That was another one. I remember part there was a part two apparently, <laughs> but with that one, I think it was broken out of different segments. And it all around, like, they had these different segments, like, it started trying around selling Christmas reefs. <laughs> because he was trying to sell them door-to-door, and some people didn't buy it, or it was too early, so I didn't pass Thanksgiving. It, ro- it, ro- it revolved around, the whole concept was running around, like, Sally practicing for a Christmas play, because she was saying this one line, and, you know, Charlie Brown doing stuff. It was, like, different segments. We could tell that was more modern ask. I think that came out like late 80s or something or early 90s. Because I think, I don't know when the Charlie Brown Christmas came out. Let's see. It came out late as hell. Let's see, I'm looking at it. Like early, but... no, Let's see, Charlie Brown. What's it? Yeah, like 91, maybe? Let's see, Charlie Brown Christmas looks like it came out in 1965. Fuck. That was the first Fuck. one. Um. Well, oh, let me see. Uh, let me see here. Production. Yeah, because it's developed for TV. Let's see here. Home media. Here we go. It was released in Betamax, and then it was released on VHS in 87, 91. The special was released for a limited time VHS with Shell Oil for sale at gas stations. I remember that because our, dad, our parents got those, lucky. When gas stations actually had promotional deals, guys. Um, um, let's see, I can find the sequel of it. Let me see. Uh, and let's see. <laughs> Try about Christmas tree. I remember that, like, one of the things, that, that little Christmas tree thing, um, how, of course, one thing that episode two was, the whole aluminum Christmas trees were popular back then, the fake trees. Oh, the fake ones, yeah. Yeah, you know, about, like, the whole, the regular trees, so let me look up the sequel, I think it's called It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown, let's see, it's Christmas Time Again. Here it goes. Christmas time again. Charlie Brown. Okay, looks like I found it. Did you find it? Yeah, I find it. 1992, actually. So it was kind of recent. It was not, not recent. Like it came out in the 90s, apparently. Um, yeah, it was like it comprised various storylines in the comic strip. It was the first Christmas themed peanuts, especially from, from Wikipedia since inaugural like, Charlie Brown Christmas 65. Do an episode of the Charlie Brown Snoopy Show featuring a new Christmas film in 1985. This was the final new Peanuts animated special to air on CBS. The network canceled all future anime specials in 1990, even though they still air ones until 2000. 
And like I said, it's composed of several themes, storylines, all taken directly from this comic strip. So it was all taken from the strips. And let me, like I said, different stories was, you know, Charbon trying to sell Reese door to door. Um, of course, Peppermint Patty worrying about her <laughs> Christmas uh, book report because remember, she wasn't even featured in the first. She wasn't featured in Charbon Christmas, which I was surprised. Like, her and Marcy were not featured in that series. So I don't know if they came later, if they were added later after Char Schultz and them later on. And then it says Pepe and Penny and Marcy attend a performance on Handel's Messiah. And then, of course, uh, Pepe and Penny decides to write about the performance, you know, and it's just calling it a guy to Joe Handel. <laughs> and the funny thing about Snoopy posing as Santa Claus. <laughs> and then, um, it's like, it's like various segments, but. And, of course, um,. Ty Brown trying to buy, like, he sold his comic book collection to buy Peggy Jean, I guess it's the red-haired girl, a pair of gloves or something. And she finds out that she has gloves. Oh, yeah. And, of course, it culminates the whole, um, you know, Sally, you know, she was going to play the Archangel, and she was going to say Hark, but it ends up saying Hockey Stick. <laughs> but, yeah, apparently this was, like, the last one that was released in 1990. Um, which wasn't like, like I said, coming, like, I would say kind of, I don't know. I think this one wasn't too bad because it has like different storylines versus like the first one was like just one storyline. Because you think of the years from like jumping from 1965 to 1992 was a big jump. But it kind of touched base of the times, basically. Um, but I liked it too because I kind of liked the, this was of course. They released that VHS as well. Of course, the shell promotions as well. Like we had that on VHS. Um, other than that, I'm trying to remember what other Christmas specials I remember seeing. I'm trying to remember. Um, honestly, um, the movie The Santa Claus with Tim Allen comes to mind as well. Because it came up the whole concept of that it, that Santa Claus was like a job, basically. Yeah, I, remember, I remember it being a big movie when it came out. I mean, even the season. I think it was like in '94. I think it was like in the '90s. I think it was like around '90, 90, '94. Of course, Tim Allen had that run with the Home Improvement, yeah, and of course, Tim Allen having that run with you know Disney at the time made that film because Tim Allen at the time was working on Home Improvement. Of course, Home Improvement was well, in Home Improvement was in the they were using the MGM Studios to film the show, so. um at the time, and of course, to capitalize on his popularity with Home Improvement, they brought him on. And the whole concept of the Santa Claus guys, if you ever get a chance to see it, um, was he was Scott Kelvin, he was like a developer, like a toy developer, he worked for like a toy corporation. And of course, you know, he's sharing custody with his ex, with his ex wife over Charlie. And of course, you have John Ryho in there, so of course, John Ryho, time fast times to get Richmond High on there. Let's go see him. And of course, he was also in Beverly Hills Cop. And of course, you know, he's got Charlie, and of course, being how he is, you know, Scott Kevin is really too much of Christmas and stuff. He's not much of a Christmas spirit type of person. So, Christmas type of person, and kind of like kind of like negative when it comes to the holidays. But he tries his best to impress his son, because his son, his son Charlie, like, loves Christmas so much, you know, and then of course, they hear rustling on the roof. Of course, you know, being a concerned parent, he wants to go outside and he sees a guy on the roof. Guy slides down the roof, lands on the ground, he finds out it's Santa Claus. 
And apparently Santa Claus dies. And he, like he dies or fades away into existence, and apparently, oh, yeah, he, and then he takes on the mantle of Santa Claus, which just was a cool concept. And of course, the movie's called the Santa Claus, as in a clause and a contract. So they end up going to North Pole, which I kind of like this take on North Pole because the elves are not your stereotypical elves; they're like kids. They're almost like young kids. They have the elf ears, but it kind of dawned on me going back. I haven't watched the film in a long time. I think it's on Disney Plus. I think they have the films on Disney Plus. I'm not sure. I have to watch it back because somebody pointed out, I think if on Reddit, when I think this is after, after Scott Calvin became Santa Claus, when Charlie's in school or when he's at the show and tell, when Scott Calvin's at the show and tell and stuff, that the kids in the background were actually the elves and they're watching over Charlie, making sure he's okay. Because they kind of accepted Charlie, like, hey, he's Santa's son, we'll care for him as he's our own, you know? And it goes on, and he, I forgot the guy who played um, Bernard, I forgot the actor's name, because he looks familiar, I just don't remember from... He's like the head elf, he's like the head elf explaining them what's going on with the clause of the contract. He's like, you're a businessman, right? The clause of the contract, so basically, anything happens, he assumes responsibilities. I remember the whole agreement, let me pull up the agreement. But... I remember what's his name was in there. Oh my god! Like so many names, I keep forgetting. The dad from Everyone Loves Rain was on there too. He was like the boss. Damn, really? The guy who played oh Peter Boyle was the. If you forget that Peter Boyle was on there, but he actually came back again in I think Santa Claus two or three comes out because he's on um, Father Time. But I think that was one of the last like things he did. So let me look up the Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Here we go. Nineteen ninety four. Here we go. Um. Yeah, ninety four. Tim Allen. David Cromwell is the one who played the uh, Bernard. That's the actor's name. And he had two films. I guess it had Santa Claus two and the Escape Clause. Looks like it's the other one. So they expanded like expand on a trilogy. So, um, then of course the card. The funny thing was the interactions with the reindeer was kind of funny too. The way those reindeer look. I don't know. They were like I think they were like mixed up like visual effects and puppetry as well. Because it looked really well done. But overall, I would say that was a good film to watch. I think we actually saw that film in theaters. But I don't remember if we actually did. I think we did one time. We did see it in theaters. Then film grows $145.3 million in the U.S. and Canada, $45 million in territories for World War total of $190.3 million. Hmm. Well, on Tomatoes gave it a 72% based on 57 reviews. Hmm. Oh, it is on Disney+. Plus. So it is, that film is on Disney Plus itself. So, oh, cool! It is on there. So, but good shot. I would say that's like that I remember that other film, but of course, like the big one too. I mean, overall, the Santa Claus. I remember what, the first one's not bad. I think the second one wasn't bad either. I think the third one featured uh, Martin Short as like Jack Frost. I think it was in the third one. Because I think part two is when he has to find a wife, like a Mrs. Claus. <laughs> And then, of course, like, I'm surprised it was a film that actually generates sequels. And it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But overall, I would say that film wasn't bad. I mean, it was a good change of pace for your stereotypical, like, Christmas films, like, holiday films. Um, 
Another one that comes to mind too, Home Alone. With Home Alone Revolve on Christmas. And, like, honestly, you guys, I don't know if you guys were on the rock or anything. Hopefully you guys remember Home Alone being one of the big holiday hits in the late 90s, late 80s, early 90s. You know, Macaulay Culkin coming out from being on Uncle Buck. This was, like, his first, like, starring role. Because, remember, John Hughes brought him in for Uncle Buck for a little bit. I can think because of his interaction with John Candy and stuff. And that one scene in Uncle Buck when he's, like, questioning him and everything. Um, he ends up getting the starring role in Home Alone. And, of course, you know, he plays a kid named Kevin McAllister. And, of course, you know, he's kind of like being the little brother to a big family. Of course, you got the cousins there, too. And it all runs around, like, the his family and his uncle and his family. They're getting ready to leave on a trip to Paris. And, of course, you know, being the youngest, kind of like the runt. Litter, you know, all his older siblings look down on him and stuff, think he's annoying. It's typical, you know, sibling stuff. Of course, he acts out to the point he gets punished, gets sent to the attic, and you know, he makes this wish. You know, when kids get upset, you know, make wishes and stuff, and pretty much, you know, wishes his whole family disappears. And of course, you know, power goes out, and eventually, you know. Because one of my favorite sequences when they're rushing to get to the airport. Um, one of the rushes thing of going to the airport. Um, and of course, the power goes out. They very restoring the power. And they find out they're late to the flight. Yeah. Which created the whole sequence um, of them, you know, rushing through O'Hare Airport. Running through the O'Hare Airport, trying to get to the flight. But not knowing that they forgot to knock on Kevin's door. Being that he was in the attic, they didn't even knock on his door. And, of course, he gets the realization, oh, my wish came true. I'm all by myself. Um, I don't want to give too much of the movie away, but to me, that's a really good holiday film. Honestly, that's something that still holds up. I Honestly, I think me and Biko, obviously, we made that like a holiday tradition now where we watch it every year. Then we do it like around Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. We watch Home Alone 1, and then we had a part two thing last year. And now that Disney Plus has all three films... I think we only watch like the first two only because it kind of has that cohesiveness when it comes to like storyline thing. But I would say it's another like holiday thing for me <laughs> that I remember growing up. Um, how about you, Beagle? Any like holiday films or TV shows that you remember growing up? That I just like The Grinch. That's about it. <laughs> the Grinch? Are you talking about the cartoon or are you talking about like the film with Jim Carrey? The cartoon. The cartoon. Uh, I like the cartoon a lot more than the actual movie itself. Uh, the movie is okay because it came out a little later, but I'm not the biggest fan of it. Jim Carrey did what he could because mm-hmm. the movie's just very mediocre. But the, the the original cartoon is the one I really like the most. Awesome. Mm. But like more than that, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I never really like Christmas. Like the, Charlie Brown Christmas was the one I really like too. Uh, that one, those two, because I finally remember. Uh, but the other one, like, I don't know. Like, I know there's so many romantic ones that they make. Like, those cheesy romantic comedy ones that they always make on the Christmas one. Like, Disney, they, they used to do what, like, Mickey Mouse ones, too. Mm. Of course, they just started doing that a little more. Yeah, I think, um, I think when Mickey did the, yeah, I try to remember the Disney, the Mickey did the Christmas Carol. I think it was in 1990, I believe. That introduced, um, that was their adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. 
It was Mickey's Christmas Carol and introduced, you know, as one of the first um, cartoons that introduced Wayne Allwine as the voice of Mickey Mouse. Because after, you know, Walt Disney passed away, Jim McDonald took over as the voice of Mickey for, like, promotions and for, like, Fun and Fancy Free was a different voice of Mickey. It was just, he, this was, like, introduction to Wayne Allwine, who actually worked with Jim McDonald because they were both in the Foley department. If people don't realize in the entertainment business, a Foley artist is the one that makes, like, the sound effects, using everyday objects to make sound effects for productions, which are the concept is still used today. People don't realize the Foley artists are still being utilized. Even though we got technology and stuff, you still have Foley artists to make those sounds. But sometimes there's sounds that cannot be created digitally. It's sounds that can make, you know, naturally. And this was like, to me, I remember Disney, uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol because it was like Wayne Allwine's first, you know, his first appearance as the voice of Mickey Mouse. And it, was, it also introduced his Uncle Scrooge as Ebenezer Scrooge. And it like, you know, this is before DuckTales. Because we didn't see Scrooge again until DuckTales. But the character Scrooge came from the Car Banks run of Donald Duck, um, Uncle Scrooge comics. Back in the day. So introduced, you know, Alan Young as the Uncle Scrooge. As everybody says, Scrooge Alan Young, of course, was Wilbur and Mr. Ed. A great actor, you know, a great character actor. And, of course, he was known for Uncle Scrooge on DuckTales and for later on the Disney stuff. And it was really well done. Definitely check it out. Mickey's Christmas Carol. Hopefully it's on Disney+. Plus. But it, it's like their take on the Christmas Carol series. Because it features a lot of Disney characters at the time. Because this was like the 90s. So it was like one of Disney's like newest animations at the time. Where they were just doing little shorts and stuff. They weren't going to features. Because I think the only few features around that time was um, The Great Monster Detective. That thing came out around that time too as well. So they had, they had that was another like... Disney animation as well. It was before the Disney Renaissance. You know, before Beauty and the Beast, before Aladdin um, were coming out. This is like, they just did the mediocre type of specials and this was one of them was the Mickey's Christmas Carol was like one of the biggest ones when it comes to the holidays. And of course, you know, you know, later on they did uh, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas which came out in the late 90s. It was still done with hand-drawn animation and that revolved about three different stories. Was their whole take, and then they did it twice. Why Christmas was the first time they did uh, Mickey and CGI. It was the first time they did Mickey and CG. It was the first CG animated special. Um, and then they also did um, Snowing at the House of Mouse. They did this Christmas one as well, where you know the House of Mouse was like Disney late Disney Saturday afternoon Saturday morning show where they did like Disney Mickey and his friends hosted a nightclub. Like a nightclub where basically all the Disney characters hang out and stuff. And they show clips from different cartoons. They made for the show. Um, but this one they did like one revolve on Christmas. I think they showed Christmas, uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol during that time as well. Um, yeah, even Disney got into the act. But I think to me what stand out more was Mickey's Christmas Carol. To me kind of stands out more the Christmas special otherwise. Um, trying to think what else. Flintstones actually did one too. They actually did an adaptation of Christmas Carol as well. Um, that one, I remember, they used to show that at Cartoon Network a lot. The Flintstones Christmas Carol was all around, you know, Fred, you know, Barney, all them, like, the community of Bedrock were working on the play and stuff. And, you know, Fred, you know, like, Wilma questioning Fred, he cares about Christmas at all, because about his family and stuff, but all he cares about is being the star of the play and everything. And, of course, he realizes, you know, Christmas is coming up, and he keeps forgetting us, and then he starts doing stuff at the last minute. Well, at the same time, they got the bedrock bug, bug, so you got to plague as well. Thanks to Mix, but 
they showed their take on, you know, Christmas Curry as well. Which is really like dumb. Like, the animation was new at that time. And I would say it's not a bad special check out, too. Um, um, Finsel's Christmas Carol as well is a good one, too. Um, another thing, too, that... Another film that kind of spans both holidays, Halloween and Christmas, is um, Nightmare Before Christmas. I would say that's a film that you can watch either Halloween or Christmas time. So, I mean, it's Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, you know. To me, it's it's a musical. And with a good storyline, which, you know, Jack Skellington is the king of Halloween. But he gets bored of doing the same old thing year after year. Comes across this forest for the different holidays, apparently. And it's almost on Christmas, and he gets the idea of maybe I should be doing something different. Decides to take over for Santa Claus, or he calls him Sandy Claus, and becomes a new Santa Claus, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's a good, like, I would say that's a movie that you can watch at Christmas, or even at Halloween, because it has the two themes. But at the same time, it's, all, it's like it's Tim Burton, you know, it's his, anime, it's his animation style, but it's cool because it's all puppetry, you know, stop motion puppetry, but at the same time, it's like a musical-esque. Because it had, like, really good music, the scores were good, it's a movie you can watch over and over again. I would say that's a good, like, holiday film to think, to check out as well. And, honestly, to me, I don't know, what's your take on this? Um, because I know this is a debate that's been going on for years and years. Die Hard. Is Die Hard to you, Biko, a Christmas film? Yeah, it definitely is. I've always thought it was. I mean, it's it's, it's it happens during Christmas time. No, because it takes place during a holiday office party. And normal holiday office parties, they take place usually before Christmas. That's why a lot of people argue. How is it a, a Christmas film? But it's still December, so it's, it's in the season. No, it's still in the season of... Like it's in the tradition of the holiday spirit, so like, why wouldn't it? It's still in December, so I can still consider a holiday movie too. It's snowing outside, like, come on, you can't tell me it's not a holiday movie. It's definitely a Christmas movie, though. I think because I think the way the film was released, I think it was released during the summer. But even though, like you said, it has a thing where his wife has a like wife's at the their, like company Christmas party. I think he was, he's like a detective or something, or he's the whole thing was. And apparently, the director ended the debate. Apparently. Says Dyer was just with Terrence to film as director, fine. He directed Predator and Nomads. He also made Hunt for October, Die Hard Revengeance, and Last Night's Hero, expecting himself on the top action artists. Some personal problems. Let's see what he says here. Harvest Legacy cannot be argued. Die Hard is still known. Uh. Yeah, see here. It says here. Others debated the same. The film's only set at Christmas, but not actually Christmas movie like Home Alone and Elf. The debate crops up annually, but Terrence seems to settle it. Um, goes deep into a 12 minute video discussing our concepts, but the answer reveals that yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie despite the original tension not being that. So I think it, that's what it was. I think a lot of people were saying that it wasn't, but at the same time, it was because like I think it is a Christmas film. I'm not going against well, what people are saying, but it was like the whole this whole debate going on back and forth that it's not a Christmas film. But yeah, like you said, it is because like I said, it takes place during a holiday company party. Which gets him taken hostage by Hans Gruber, played by um, Al Rickman, great character actor. And of course, you know Bruce Willis, you know has to go in, 
and save his wife and the hostages. And of course, of course, my favorite scene when he's walking on glass, going through the air vents, the air ducts, and yelling out that scene, yippee ki motherfucker. <laughs> um, and of course, we get Reginald Bell Johnson in there as one of the cops, who eventually becomes um, Carl Winslow in, and comes out Carl Winslow in uh, Family Matters. I haven't seen Die Hard. Be honest with you guys, I have not seen Die Hard. So kill me. So badass, but it's a good film. Definitely, I would say I consider that as Christmas. I would say it's a Christmas film because, like I said, it's set at Christmas, and it is. And the yeah, it wasn't released at Christmas time, but I would say it's Christmas. And I forgot about Elf because I think that became more of a big thing that's being shown over again as the movie Elf. Yeah, right. I mean, Elf wasn't that bad either. I mean, great cast, of course, Will Ferrell. Zoe Deschanel, um, um, who else was in? John Farr was in it. He directed it as well. People realize he directed that film as well. Oh yeah, he did. Oh, um, yeah, that's a, a good film. It is a good film as well. Like Elf is a good one to check out. And the, another thing I do want to point out when it comes to animation wise, besides Flintstones and Disney, um, I don't know if you remember Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. After that cartoon ended, like the early nineties, ninety four, I think it ended. Um, in 96, they decided, the same studio decided to do Sonic Christmas Blast. Which was, of course, at that time, you know, um, Sega was going through the Sega Center and they were working on this project called Sonic Extreme. That eventually got canned. It was supposed to be the first 3D Sonic game, but it got canned. But they decided, in the spirit of Christmas, they decided, oh, we think Sonic should have a Christmas episode too. I actually have that on DVD, um, actually. Um, it was called Extremely Sonic Christmas and, or Sonic Christmas Blast. Um, basically, it revolves around a Robotnik, you know, they're trying to take over Christmas. And of course, Sonic, the first time they ever non-spoken appearance of Princess Sally. And this is Princess Sally before the Sally Moore cartoon, even though the Sally Moore cartoon debuted around the same time as Avengers Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic San Am, which is coined by the fans, at first, it, they used Princess Sally from the early costumes which she had pink fur and the brown hair. And, of course, she didn't speak. They always short for a little bit. And, of course, Sonic trying to find a, a gift for Sally. So, she's introduced. I think this was like a segment, a leeway, kind of like a transition to the other series. Even though the other series a little more popular because the Sonic Mario cartoon Sonic was more darker, more deeper um, than the regular Sonic. Like, while the Adventure Sonic was more campy, more comedic, kind of like, kind of inspired by Looney Tunes. So, they had their own Christmas episode, too, as well. So that was another one that I actually had on DVD and whatever times they released it. Um, Deke Animation did it. It was good too. Um, but like I said, to me, another film too, Batman Returns, took place around Christmas as well. Because, it, you know, it was around Christmas as well. Because, you know, it's all about the Penguin getting revenge and stuff and got the penguins <laughs> and snowing. You could argue that being a Christmas film as well. But of course, my favorite one was Christmas with the Joker from Batman the Animated Series. Because it was Mark Hamill's first appearance, his first voice appearance as the Joker. Because remember, he took over for Tim Curry. Because people don't realize Tim Curry was the first choice to voice the Joker. I don't know what happened during pre-production. I guess something happened. And they called Mark Hamill back in. 
I think Mark Hamill auditioned before and he didn't get picked. And then, of course, they call him back for the Joker. And I see he won that rollover. He took over. And to me, I would say that's a good Christmas episode as well. Because it was with the Joker. And it also it, it, it created that whole um, song, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Lake. And it, the Batmobile lost his film, the Joker got away. So... And, of course, you saw Robin also make the appearance of Robin as well. Because Robin makes his first appearance. Because, of course, you know, in Batman Animated Series, Dick Grayson went to college. And he, I guess he was home for the holidays at that time. Which I did like that they made him like a college student at that time. Mm-hmm. So, we got to see Batman and Robin as well. But I like them because, like, it's a Christmas. I would say that's considered a Christmas episode because it also revolves with a whole, like, you know, Dick Grayson, Tom, and Bruce. Hey, you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. The Jimmy Stewart film. Oh, yeah. If he wasn't around. Yeah. I was that's another thing people realize about the holidays too was it's a wonderful life. It's another big like Christmas film with like Jimmy Stewart and stuff. Like what happens if he wasn't born or anything, basically. I've never seen a film, but it's usually cited a lot when it comes to holiday films. But of course, the film that I you, Biko, and I watched before was a Christmas story. Oh yeah. We gotta mention a Christmas story. Because that's a film that's shown a lot. I remember TBS was doing like a twenty four hour run of it. Because I would say that's a film that's... I would say, you think that film still holds up? Yeah, I mean... Eh, I mean, they show it every year now to a point that it's, like, probably lost its mystique along the way, but it's definitely a tradition. I think, no. I mean, I don't know if it holds up because it's still rather old, but... It's still funny. I mean, there's still parts of the nostalgia I like about it. Uh, I just haven't seen it in a while to know if it really holds up, though, I'm not going to lie. Because, I, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. I didn't watch it last year. It's like it's on. It's like unless it's on the TV. If I watch it here, I don't know about TBS or something, right? Is it, don't they usually show it? Yeah, because I think there's a film. What year was that made? Because it was. It, I mean, even had the author who wrote the episode. It was made in eighty. Looks like it was made in eighty three. Mm-hmm. And let me see here. It was made in eighty three. Based on John Shepard's semi-fictional anecdotes in his nineteen sixty six book, and God we trust, all others pay cash. With some elements from his nineteen seventy one book, Wanda Hickey is not to go memories on our disasters. Um, yeah, it was made eighty three. Even they had like the narrator, uh, John Shepard actually did the narration. People don't realize the narr- he, the writer who created, who wrote it, what they based it on, did the narration for it. Hmm. He did the narration for Ralphie, basically. Oh, and like the whole story of people, like the whole basis, you know, I think it's a Christmas during, I don't know, it says the year. Yeah, it says the film was presented in a series of vision that's with narration provided by the adult Rafi Parker reminiscing on one particular Christmas when he was nine years old. Um, basically, he wants, for Christmas, he wants a Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle. Mm-hmm. It's a BB gun, basically. And of course, you know, the whole concept is that he'll shoot his eye out, basically. <laughs> and then, you shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, it's like different stories and stuff, like different storylines. Um, of course, you know, Ralph's dad wins like the the lamp from our contest or something. He wins like a lamp in shape of a woman's leg wearing fishnet stockings. Um, says the old man fights a never ending battle with the furnace. Causing him to swear often. Um, and of course, you know, it gets to the point where Rafi says, Oh, fudge, but I didn't say fudge. 
Um, that's another thing. Of course, you know, the meal gets destroyed by the dogs, and then they end up going to a Chinese restaurant for Christmas dinner. And of course, um, his Ralphie and his friends get picked on by the bullies, and Ralph goes crazy. He ends up going to a psychotic rage and to the point starts beating up the kid. And of course, the famous you know triple dog there, where Ralphie's friend pretty much sticks his tongue on the on the pole and gets stuck in there. And of course, the famous Ralphie wearing the pajamas, the pink bunny pajamas. That he got from his aunt or his grandma. I think he got it from his aunt. I think he got it. His grandma. Yeah, grandma. I think. Oh no! It says he got it from his aunt. His aunt. His mm-hmm. great aunt. His aunt gave him. Oh, yes, his aunt Clara gave him the bunny suit. Looks like. Oh, she made it yourself. Mm. I would say that film's not bad. I mean, it's a good film. I mean, I don't know if it holds up, but I would say that's something I will watch again and again. I mean, same thing with like Home Alone and Nightmare for Christmas. I would say those films I could probably watch over and over again. Oh yeah, those are always yeah, definitely. Well, because they're definitely a different type of movie. Yeah. <clears throat> Not that I guess it does have its 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 uh, datedness to each one, but it's not the bad because there's I feel like there's they're too rooted in tradition by now in pop culture that it's like it's hard not to see them every year. It doesn't feel like, I guess for some people, they latch on to these type of things. And it doesn't feel like Christmas to them without watching like these movies. Mm-hmm. So, Miko, overall, like your take on you know, the holidays, like when it comes to pop culture, what kind of goes into your head besides like the films I mentioned? Like anything else that comes to mind in your head when it comes to like Christmas and the holidays in general, when it comes to like music and stuff? Really, I mean, I don't like music. I don't. I don't love. I don't like Christmas. To be honest, it's just not a. I don't. I'm not the big fan of the holiday, and the music already has been so oh, overplayed everywhere you go. You start playing the same songs nowadays. To like I said, the people latch on to that. I don't know if they. To me, I don't know if it's the actual they like the idea of it or just. Like Charlie Brown, I feel like Charlie Brown in these situations, like the commercialism, it's like that's not Christmas for me. Uh, but it kind of just like I don't know, it, it's gotten so commercialized these days that like it's all not very tacky to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we have gotten some pretty cool looking, I want to say movies from the past come out. Like at least in the animation realm, like we have seen a lot of uh, new Christmas movies being made every year. Uh, Netflix, I know, gets a lot of these specials sometimes that come on, and then the, they try their hand at animation. But overall, it's it's that that stuff is nice. I, I like I like that for the kids that they're able to like watch these movies that they can grow up with later on, and they kind of refer back to a nice bonding that we are right now. Like it's it's not to see like everyone kind of going to war for those properties and putting on streaming services, but they should at least like give some leeway for like the local for people who still pay for cable and things like that. Like they still get that for their kids or they're letting Netflix kind of take over with that stuff. Like mm-hmm. get a, get a, uh, get the stream, like Charlie Brown points if you want to that's just one example. Like, I would like to see them kind of get more access for these kids to kind of watch that because I do want them to enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. They, like not watch the beach and that's kind of like what I like this Christmas but uh, I don't know about 
those things I like because they're just different. Uh, but I don't know. Everything, all of it, kind of been so commercialized for me that it's like, yeah, rather than like, oh, I'm gonna make it my own. And I'm like, all right, I like that idea. You know, like things like that, like, like that always, uh, I would pause it. Those. So that's what makes it work for me. But overall, I don't know. Not, I'm not like a pee. I'm a Halloween guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, even like when I was going back to like even like even though like Christmas too is like different cultures, like the holidays, like even anime too. They they have like some animes do do Christmas thing episodes. Um one thing that comes I mean there's some that are like lighthearted ones. I think one I saw recently um was um, from this YMA called Toradora, um, which is ba- it's like a, one of those like slice of life type animes. It follows around story of Ryuji and Taiga. You know, Ryuji like he his dad was like a former yakuza, but his mom helped ra- his mom raise him. His mom like you know, but with him the way his his face looks like he kind of gives off that off putting face. Um, but he takes care of his mom and does right by her and stuff, cooks and cleans for her. But his mom is like a hostess at a, at a host club. Um, if you guys don't know what a host club is in Japan, it's like a, a, a club where you go and a female, you know, non, you know, non-sexual, they hang out with you and you just buy drinks and they hang out with you for conversation and have a good time. Um, so he takes care of her and stuff and he runs into this girl named Taiga. Um, she's pint size, but she's a high schooler and... They call her the Palm Top Tiger, um, because um, Ryuji and Taiga, it's more like Tiger and Dragon almost, because the name come Taiga comes from the, the, the word like the kanji word for dragon for Tiger. Um, and there's one episode too where it's like a holiday one, and uh, it's kind of wholesome. It all runs like the school doing a holiday celebration, and something happens, and Taiga ends up staying at home. She was like depressed, and she remembers her memories growing up with like, her parents and stuff, and seeing Santa and stuff. And comes across, you know, Taiga sitting in her apartment alone. And um, Ryuji comes. He's ended up wearing a bear costume <laughs> with a Santa Claus hat. And tears her up and stuff. Um, that's one of the animes I've seen that has, like, a Christmas aspect of it. Um, another one, um, I would say it's not almost like a Christmas episode. But kind of has kind of, like, the elements. Um, is like, Sword Art Online. They look a little thing. Of course, um, Sword Art Online and people, it's, like... It's a light novel. It's based on a light novel. And basically, it's the whole concept of um, this new MMO, virtual MMO. It's out. You play using the Nerf Gear virtual reality set. And problem is, characters get, people got trapped in the game. Basically, the creator locks all these players in. And the only way you can survive is you level up, survive the floors. But if you get killed, if your HP goes down, you're dead for real. And it, like you, when you die in the game, basically, the Nerf Gear will send a shot to your brain and pretty much you're dead. And there's one episode which it took from like the light novels, um, where you know, um, Kirito ends up helping out. At first, he was like a solo player; they didn't want to hang out with anybody. He decides to help out this group of players, and then um, what happens is he accidentally leads them to a trap. The, the group of players run out ahead, and they get stuck in a trap room, and he gets there too late, and they end up dying. 
and he feels feels responsible. He feels downtrodden because this is a group he ever felt belonged to. They were gonna build, a, they were gonna buy like a, a home base in the game to, to be safe, like a safe house, and we're gonna level up together and try to clear the floors. They have to get killed, and then it turns into like Christmas time in the calendar. So the game, of course, do a Christmas event where he has to fight this like monster esque version of Santa Claus. And it's snowing and stuff, and of course, you know, because he finds out there's a, supposedly there was an item that supposedly can bring a person back to life. So he ends up going to the point he fights the big boss in the end of the event, finds out that the item can only resurrect somebody only two hours after they died. But these characters that he failed to save died 24 hours before, or a couple days before. But he ends up getting this message from one of the players, her name was Sachi. He, he still left him a message like, hey, Kirito, Merry Christmas. Because then she starts humming Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It, I would say it's kind of depressing, but at the same time, it was seeing, you know, something like that, Christmas being utilized in there. And it kind of solidifies that, hey, you know, people still care about you at Christmas and stuff. It's about caring about somebody. And, like, a lot, like, even, like, even, like, in animes, Christmas is still a utilized concept in the holidays. And, of course, in Japan, at Christmas, they celebrate, you know, having cake and, you know, having, being with your friends. Um, I think another one I saw that was a recent um, Christmas episode, I think it was, um, it was on Netflix, too, so let me see if I can look it up. Yeah, it was it was a Christmas film. It was on Netflix. Um, it's all Redsco. We wish you a middle Christmas. Uh, if you know about Redsco, um, she's it's a collaboration between Netflix and Sanrio. People make Hello Kitty. She's a red panda, and she works at like she's a, she works in the kind of department for this company. And you know she's a red panda, and you know she deals with a lot of stress, and she lets off her her frustration by singing death metal karaoke. And it, what they did is they did a Christmas episode. Which was supposed... It's basically like the last episode of season one. And they did it as a Christmas episode. And it all about, you know... When the... Basically the whole plot is, you know... Resco makes... This pretty makes points Christmas Eve. Her obsession with seeking validation through social media. Spirals out of control. It's her concept because she's jealous of this co-worker. Because her co-worker... She's like this deer. And she uses her Instagram account to get popularity. And I guess the Resco gets kind of... Jealous, and she decides to try to do these cheesy Instagram pics. <laughs> and of course, they, what's cool is they do this like dark version cover of Jingle Bells, <laughs> like a metal version of Jingle Bells, which is kind of hilarious. And then like a company Christmas party or something, as well. Definitely check it out. It's one of those things that definitely you should definitely check it out on. Um, Netflix is called Wishing Metal Christmas. Let's check it out. So. It's one of those things I definitely do enjoy watching. Um, like I said, very few anime do Christmas episodes. It depends on how long like, the anime's been around, but they are on there. And they do, due respect, they do have the concept of Santa Claus and all that stuff. Um, other than that, when it comes to me for Christmas, it's like, oh, to me, it's just like being together with the family and celebrating. Yeah, giving gifts, you know. As a kid, you get excited because of the whole concept of Santa and stuff. Um, you know, Santa's going to get you gifts. And to me, it's like, yeah, it's all about exchange, but at the same time, to me, it's just being with the people that you care about. That's what I think Christmas is, just being with the people that you care about, being together, uh, and just celebrating, just being together, basically. Mm-hmm. 
And by having these things in media kind of helps too, like having some kind of entertainment for the holidays. Because a lot of shows at this time, they go on their winter break. So they don't start production again until later in the year. They're into next year. They start production again. Sometimes they do these Christmas episodes. Like The Simpsons, they do a lot of Christmas episodes. And, and then kind of reminds me, going back, that's how The Simpsons premiered. They premiered around this time, back in 1989, uh, when Simpsons Roasting on Open Fire was their first ever episode. You know, this was their first ever episode since being on the Tracy Ullman show. They're only fe- they were featured only on the Tracy Ullman show in anime segments. Then eventually they branched out. Matt Green branched out. He got approached by Fox like, hey, you want to make this into a sitcom? To anime sitcom. The first episode was a Christmas episode. And of course people don't realize, Klasky Supo, the creators of Rugrats, did the animation work for The Simpsons before Film Roman took over afterwards. Interesting. But yeah, that became you know. But that that since episode was the first since episode was Simpsons roasting open fire. Even though it, when it premiered, it said the Christmas a Simpsons Christmas special because Simpsons were established through the Tracy Ullman show, through their animated segments when Tracy Ullman had a talk show and she had the Simpsons in like these animated segments. And eventually, like I said, Magrain branched out on his own. The people that did the voice work for the Simpsons came over to do the program as well. You know, Nancy Cartwright, Dan Castellanos, Julie Gabner. Yuli Smith, they all came along, and of course you saw the first appearance, you know, first appearance of even Bart saying Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. <laughs> and all around Homer, you know, not getting his Christmas bonus, and he ends up, you know, getting a job as a mall Santa. <laughs> and trying to give his kids, you know, try to give his family, you know, a good Christmas, basically. Because all his family's relying on him getting that Christmas bonus. Of course, Mr. Burns, being how he is, didn't offer no Christmas bonus, so like I said, he tries to get extra money from being a uh, a mall Santa. And of course, it eventually goes on to the track where Barney says, hey, go on the track, go to Greyhound track and bet on a horse, get money. Uh, Greyhound, of course, that's how they get their dog. Mm-hmm. But of course, Mar- and of course, when Marge tells Homer, you know, this is not about Chris presence, it's just, you know, being together with the family and making them happy, you know? Mm-hmm. The one thing I forgot to mention was the Simpsons one. <laughs> Simpsons did it. A lot of Christmas episodes and stuff. And what I did was the recent episode of The Simpsons. Um, they made fun of the... They did this year. I think they made fun of the Hallmark uh, Christmas episode films. They had uh, Ellie Kepner in there. Richard Kind in there. And um, Chris Parnell coming out in as well. You know, around them making fun of like, the whole Hallmark you know, Christmas romance type of thing too. Like The Simpsons version of it. So it was kind of cool. Um... I'll say other than that, um, I can't think of anything else for regarding Christmas. How about you, Biko? Oh, no, neither can I. No, I have no idea what else to say. But overall, like I said, there's a lot of stuff you guys can definitely check out. There's a lot of Christmas stuff you can check out. I would say for me, for recommendation-wise, I would go with Home Alone 1 and 2. Yeah. Definitely, if you will go with films, Home Alone 1 and 2, um, Better Before Christmas. Uh, Christmas Story, definitely. Um, the course of the Santa Claus. Definitely check out all three films. Definitely check out all three films because they all were all around Christmas. Um, if you can, if you're lucky, the old um, the old uh, Christmas things they did on CBS back in the day, the old ones with the puppets and stuff. If they're still around, definitely check those out. It comes animation wise, um, Muppets. I forgot to mention Muppets of Christmas Carol. I forgot, Muppets Cruise Curve was something that was done with Jim Henson. I think it was one of the projects they did after Jim Henson passed away. Because I think he was trying to work on a pre-production for that. 
I forgot Michael Caine was Ebenezer Scrooge in that film. I forgot to mention Muppet's Christmas Carol. Definitely check that one out as well. Check out Mickey's Christmas Carol. Um, Flintstones Christmas Carol, if you can see it. I mean, there's a bunch of, like, I think Yogi Beard did a Christmas episode as well. Like I said, Pac-Man. <laughs> I remember Pac-Man did a Christmas one, too. Because I remember Cartoon Network back in the day, they had a block of Christmas-esque inspired episodes. Mm-hmm. They show the old, like, Christmas stuff. Like, the old Hannah Barbera Christmas stuff. Pac-Man had a Christmas episode. Um, a lot of, like, like I said, a lot of cartoons. Even sitcoms. I think Family Matters did Christmas episodes. Um, they did, like, like a lot of sitcoms at the time did, like, Christmas-esque episodes or Christmas-inspired episodes as well. I think um, Homer Prom did a lot of those, too, with Tim Allen always trying to do better against his neighbors and try to make his light display, like, the best night display ever. Um, that one as well. But definitely, for my recommendation for films, definitely check out Christmas Story, um, Night Before Christmas, and Home Alone 1 and 2. What's your picks for, like, holiday films that people should check out, Biko? Just never talk about, uh, Home, uh, the Grinch, and then Christmas, the Charlie Brown Christmas for sure. Those are the three I would, I would recommend if anything that you should watch. They're, they're like classic essential ones, I think. The, the Cartoon Grinch, not the, not the nine, but 2001 or the 1999 one. Was it 2099? I think it was 2000. Yeah, one of those, but uh, I, re- I recommend those. I think to watch every Christmas if you can. All right. So I think that will do it. We're going to wrap this up. Um, like I said, guys, you know, I don't know if you have any live tips today before we... Oh, no, I, I didn't pull it off. For some reason, like, I can't get into my Reddit account. It's kind of weird. Okay. We'll have it next time. So like I said, guys, you know, yeah, we talked about Mando. We got through the holidays. But like I said, guys, have a happy holidays. Um, you know, we wish you Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Feliz Navidad. You know, Père Noel. Um, you know, say shout out to our international listeners. Um, also happy Boxing Day to our neighbors up north in Canada, in the UK. Happy Christmas. Um, and like I said, we'll see you guys next week as we wrap up 2020. So, anyway, guys, we're at the home stretch. <laughs> we're at the home stretch on 20. So, join us next week as possibly we're going to discuss about. We're probably going to do a year review next week. Give or take on how this what this year was about. Believe me, it was a crazy year. So, you know, have a happy holidays. You know, spend time with your family. You know, do video calls with your extended family as well. You know, wish them happy holidays as well. And that's it. Any last words, Pico? Uh, stay safe and enjoy the holidays. All right. All right, guys. Um, make sure to check out our backlog of episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Google, Apple Podcasts. Check out our merch store at teespring.com slash store slash talking pop. We got um, we got new merch. We got new designs. We got face masks now. And we got new designs where our mascot, the pops or not. We got a new Beko shirt, a new Fanchai shirt. Definitely check those out. And like I said, we got new face masks. And also, too, um, you can check out my Twitch as well on twitch.tv slash Franchise 685, you can check it out. I am the casual gamer, so I do a lot of like JRPGs and role-playing games, so definitely check it out. Sometimes I stream whenever I can. <laughs> I am the casual gamer, that's why. I'm not like a hardcore, but definitely check it out. If you're into gaming, I do have shirts out on the Teespring store with my you know my channel design on there as well. Definitely check that out as well. Um, Biko, where can they follow you on social? Oh, I don't, I don't want to plug in that just yet. 
Not yet? Okay. Um, you can follow the podcast at Pop Talkin'. You can tweet us there. Um, you can also check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash talkingpop. We'll put links to the episodes. And if you guys want to post a question, um, we do actually have a subreddit, guys. I keep forgetting. We do have a subreddit. I forgot to keep mentioning. Um, it's our subreddit as r slash talkingpop. Um, you can tweet, you know, topics that you want me and Biko to discuss for future episodes. Or you just, you know, if you have any questions for us, you can tweet us on Twitter as well. So like us again, happy holidays. We'll see you all next week. Geek on. And take care. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise of Biko. Just let you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Talking Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs, and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Popstronaut logo on there. Also, we have stickers, so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, whatever you want to put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care.